Hello and good morning. My name is Chris Barrows. I'm the assistant pastor here at Gospel Baptist Church in Bonita Springs, Florida. And today I have for you the adult Sunday school class. Now this happens to be the second week in a row that we've decided to go ahead and record the adult Sunday school so that you can uh, view it in your homes during this time that we are away. I hope that you uh, enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed last week. And as we look at a totally different topic this week, I hope that you will get something special from it. And this is going to be, again, a time of teaching. This is not going to be preaching, but uh, we're going to look systematically at a few things, and I hope that you will be encouraged by it. The title of the lesson today is Reasonable Evidence of the Trustworthiness of the Bible. Reasonable Evidence of the Trustworthiness of the Bible. So, this morning we're going to look at a variety of different reasons why uh, not only is the Bible true, but also we're going to say evidence that has been discovered and that we can look to into the Bible that just uh, solidifies the fact that, hey, the Bible really is true. Uh, one theologian said that the Bible is like a, a lion and you really don't have to defend a lion, you just have to unleash it. I mean, think about it. Imagine if I had a, a trained lion and I was walking down the road and had this lion on a leash and uh, the biggest dog you could imagine came by and was barking and harassing us. Uh, I wouldn't jump out in front of the lion and try to protect uh, the lion from the dog coming. No, I would just simply uh, unleash the lion, let it go, and it's going to totally defend itself. And that's exactly what we do when we come to the Bible. We don't have to stand in front of the Bible and try to uh, come up with a bunch of reasons why it's true. Really, the Bible just defends itself. And so when we look at these different things this morning, we're going to see that the Bible just seems to be proven true and true and true over and over again. The Bible declares that it's true and it just proves itself. And I really don't have to do a whole lot uh, to make that happen. It does it on its own, of course, through the power of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hey, the Bible does the work. I just declare the truth and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Now, the things that we're going to look over today, many of them, of course, I get them from the Bible, number one, uh, but also there's a couple books that I've used that have been a great help, and I encourage you to get them. Uh, one of them happens to be Elemental Theology, and it's by Bancroft. It's a great book. It's, it's fairly concise. And then another one that I really enjoy and I really like is Basic Theology, and that's by Charles Ryrie. And many people in our church, they have the Ryrie Study Bible, and uh, same guy did both of them. And I think that you would really enjoy it. And if I had to choose between one or the other, I would definitely choose the Ryrie book if you were going to read one because it is uh, quite a bit. It's, it's pretty simple and it's super straightforward. Elemental Theology by Bancroft is a little bit more wordy, but they are both great. So a lot of the information comes from that. And if you want to do a little bit more research, a little bit more in depth, we only have a few minutes here and we're not able to touch everything. But if you want to look at some of these things a little bit more in detail, by all means, hey, get the book, uh, buy it online, buy paperback, doesn't matter, and I know that you will enjoy it. So let's see what we have this morning about reasonable evidence why we believe the Bible is true. Well, first of all, before we get into anything, I think it's super important that we understand the Bible claims to be the Word of God. 
The Bible claims it. And that's super important because uh, it doesn't really settle the issue, but it does let us know that we're not asserting something about the Bible that it doesn't claim for itself. The Bible straightforward claims that it is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It clearly says all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Inspiration meaning God breathed, inspired. Uh, another verse for that is 2 Peter 1, 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Meaning it wasn't, it wasn't man's doing that conjured up the 66 books that we have in the Bible. It was, it was by God and the holy men simply were moved by the Holy, by the holy Spirit and wrote down what they were told. And then another one, 2 Samuel 23, 2. This is David speaking, who wrote many of the Psalms. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. And another one, Jesus' words, he says in Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And so although this doesn't validate that the Bible's true just because, let's say, it says, and if you argue with somebody, uh, it, it'd be a little tough to argue uh, the Bible per se with the Bible in this aspect, but it will let you have a little bit of ammunition, at least that you know that the Bible does claim that it is the inspired Word of God. It's not something that came up by men. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning is the unity of the Bible, the unity of the Bible. Think about these things, and they're really pretty amazing uh, about how the Bible has come together. It's comprised of 66 different books written by some 40 different authors, written over a span of roughly 1,300 years, recorded by authors from different countries, cultures, and backgrounds, recorded by authors separated in different realms of time and space, written with a diversity of topics, some historical, some prophetical, some devotional, and some ethical. And it was written in diverse styles, some prose, some poetry. And it's pretty amazing just the, the diversity when it comes to the Bible. And I, as you can see through the list of things, and then the fact that it just meshes together perfectly, it's something that only could have happened from God itself. Even with all these differences, the 66 books of the Bible comprise one agreeable, unique, divine masterpiece that could only have been assembled by divine in intervention. I like what Pearson says here, and here's a quote. It's a little lengthy, but I hope you read it along with me. And by the way, if you are listening to this and you're not watching it, I do encourage you to go to our church website um, or to Facebook and check out this video. I do have my slides, and I'm, I'm looking at them and showing them while I'm talking here, and I think it'll be a lot more beneficial than just simply listening to an audio recording of it. So I challenge you to do that. But here's what Pearson says. The unity of the Bible is unique. Never elsewhere have so many different treatises, historical, bi biographical, ethical, prophetical, and poetical, been combined together, making one book. As all the hewn stone and timber make one building, or better still, as all the bones, muscle, and ligaments combine in one body, this again, while in indisputable as a fact, is unparalleled in literature, all the conditions being, humanly speaking, not only unfavorable, but fatal 
to such combinations, simply meaning that it couldn't have happened. Men could not have gotten together over 1,300 years, roughly, and comprised 66 different books, and they are all in agreement perfectly with no contradictions whatsoever. It's very amazing. Only God could have done it. And so if I was trying to explain to somebody why I believe the Bible is true, hey, this would be one of the first things I go to. Hey, the unity of the Bible, it's something that could not, man could not have done this. Now, this is one of my favorite uh, parts of this lesson, is the archaeological evidence. Now, please understand, I don't base my belief off the Bible off any one of these things. It's just simply another thing I can add and say, okay, well, hey, that just proves again that, hey, the Bible is true. It, it is what it says it is. And so we see the Newsy tablets, and here's a picture of them there. And there's three of them. They were discovered between 1925 and 1931. And they depict life and culture of the Horites in Mesopotamia during the life of Abraham. Little was known about the Horites, Genesis 14, 6. You can read the verse there, and it mentions them. Also in Deuteronomy, they are mentioned as well. And their existence was scrutinized by skeptics until the unveiling of this discovery. And no doubt Abraham, he would have had contact with these people when he lived in uh, Haran. And you can see that Genesis 29, 4. And these were discovered, again, in northern Iraq. And it just shows the culture, um, some of the ethical things that their community did. And just, an, just a little bit of evidence that, hey, the Horites did actually exist. And they were around during the time of Abraham. Here's another one. This is the capital city of the Hittites, the capital city of the Hittites. Here's a picture of it. And this is referred to as Hattusha, Hattusha. And you can go online and look up a bunch of different pictures about it. And here's one that I thought uh, was about the best one. And you can see the ruins of it. And here's what it says. It was discovered in 1906. And this was located in modern day Turkey. And once again, the existence of the Hittites seemed to be a myth by skeptics until this these ruins were discovered and proved them false. And once again, uh, really just prove that, hey, the Bible is true. Now you can see in the picture there, you can see the uh, lion statues that are there. And this would have been the gate going into the city. Anybody that would be coming and going would have gone through that. Pretty amazing. Here's some more archaeological evidence. The Tel Dan Stila. It was discovered in 1993 in northern Israel. The inscription on here depicts House of David, the House of David. And this stone provided the first evidence outside of the Bible that King David actually really existed and that he was a king. And there were skeptics who believed that King David uh, may have existed, but he was only the king of a small little tribe somewhere, not this great ruler of which the Bible depicts. But this proves that, hey, the house of David and that King David did actually exist. Here's some more archaeological evidence. Uh, the Nabonidus cylinder. The Nabonidus cylinder. Here is a picture of it. By the way, this, it looks big in the picture, but it's really not. It's only about nine inches long by three and a half inches wide. It's very small. But it was discovered in 1854 by John Taylor in Ur. And it was evidence of the existence of Belshazzar, which people did not believe existed. And here's what it says. And this is uh, Nibodius, who is the last king uh, of 
the last king of Babylon, and here's what he writes. He says, as for me, Nibodius, king of Babylon, save me from shining against your great Godhead. He's writing somewhat of a prayer to his God and grant me a present a present life long of days. And as for Belshazzar, there's the mention of him, the eldest son, my offspring, uh, instill reverence in your great Godhead and in his heart. And may he not commit any cultic mistake. May he be seated with a life of plentitude. Now, Belshazzar was the king that held a, a drunken feast uh, in the city and uh, he held this drunken feast in the city and he used the vessels from the house of God uh, to drink out of and all his company that was with him and just made a mock of the things of God. And that's when the handwriting was on the wall. And uh, it was a very interesting story. But here is archaeological evidence to prove that, hey, he really did exist. The Bible is true. The Pilate Dedication Stone, another one. There's a picture of it. It was discovered in 1961 in a Roman amphitheater. For some time, scholars were in disbelief of the existence of Roman leader Pontius Pilate, who sanctioned the crucifixion of Jesus. The inscription on here, it reads, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. This is a piece of limestone that was discovered in uh, Caesarea Maritime. Very interesting. So we've seen up to this point, we've seen the unity of the Bible and how it all meshes together perfectly, even though some 1,300 years it was comprised and there isn't any contradictions in it. And then we see the archaeological evidence, which those are great things to look at. And now we're going to move on to the scientific evidence. Scientific evidence. Now, the Bible does not contradict any well-established facts of science. You say, what do you mean by that, Chris? Well, what I mean is, is evolution is not a fact. It's a theory. Hope you know that. Hate to burst your bubble if you think so. But science has to be testable, repeatable, observable, and falsifiable. And, and evolution is none of those things. And it doesn't fit that category whatsoever. It is simply a theory. And it takes a whole lot of faith to be an evolutionist. And so let's look at some scientific facts that are well established that the Bible stated really long time before people even knew that they was a fact of science. The first one is the earth is round. Now we know that we live in the 21st century and we um, uh, humans have been to the moon and we can look down and we can see, yes, indeed the earth is round. But the Bible said it before many people believed it. Even back in Columbus's day, they did not believe that the earth was round. They thought it was flat. Isaiah 40, says, it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. The earth is round. The earth is a circle. Another one is life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Leviticus 17, 14 says, For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is for the life thereof. And he, George Washington, he was sick one day with a sore throat, and they started doing a, a process, a medical process called bloodletting, which they shouldn't have done that. They drained 40% of his blood, and he died. But if they would have just read the Bible and understood that life is in the blood they, he would have not died from that, most likely would not have died from that. The earth floats in space. For centuries, for thousands of years, some people believe that the earth was on the back of a turtle or some other mythological thing, but the Bible states the facts. Job 26, 7, he stretched out of the north over the empty place and hangeth 
the earth upon nothing. Hangeth the earth upon nothing. The earth is just out there floating in space, and God did that. Fact of science. Another thing we have from some scientific evidence is the water cycle. Amos 9, 6 says, He that called calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Talking about the how the water evaporates, goes back into the air, creates rain, comes back down, goes into the rivers, goes into the ocean. You think about the Mississippi River and how many millions of gallons pour into pour into the ocean, but it never overfills. It's because of the water cycle. And the Bible claims scientific evidence that the water cycle was known about long before people knew how it happened. The paths of the sea. Psalm 8, 8, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. Now, Matthew Murray, he was one who officially discovered the paths of the sea and he read this verse and it caught his interest. And in the 1850s, he discovered yet, yes, there are actually currents that go through the sea that you can follow. But the Bible declared it 2,700 years roughly before man discovered it. Now, We've seen the unity of the Bible, the archaeological evidence of the Bible, and the scientific evidence. Now we're going to move on to the prophetical evidence. Prophetical, this is some people's, their favorite topic, is prophecies that have been fulfilled. Let's look at a few of them right now. Babylon's rule over Judah. This was prophesied by Jeremiah in chapter 25, 11, and 12. Uh, we'll just read verse 11. And this whole land shall be in desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Before Babylon even came in and took over, Jeremiah prophesied, of course, the Holy Spirit, of course, God telling him that they would be in captivity for 70 years. Now, Cyrus, he was king of Persia and Hundreds of years, approximately 200 or so years before Cyrus was even born, Isaiah prophesies that Cyrus is going to overthrow Babylon. Of course, Cyrus was uh, a great influence in uh, the reason why the Jews were allowed to come back to Israel. And it says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue the nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. That God is going to give him the victory over that. Now here's Tyre, will be attacked by many nations. Ezekiel 26.3 says, Behold, I am against thee, O Tyrus. That was because of their, the way they treated the Israelites. And I will cause many nations to come up against thee, as the sea causeth his waves to come up. And of course, uh, Babylon came over and destroyed them right during this time. Then Alexander the Great in somewhere around 300 BC came by and conquered the city of Tyre. And also uh, many years later in, uh, I think, uh, 1200 or so, uh, the Roman Empire went again and conquered the city of Tyre. And the Bible, of course, was true Again, now here are some evidences, prophetical evidences about Jesus. And this is where a lot of people like to focus, but I wanted to give you those before about some other facts, not just about Jesus. But here's a prophecy about Jesus that he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrat, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me 
that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth shall have been of old from everlasting, that from little Bethlehem, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, would be born. Very amazing. Another one that Jesus, that he would be pierced. It says in Zechariah 10, 12, 10, I will pour out upon the house of David and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Of course, Jesus was pierced in his side, but he was also pierced in his hands and his feet, Psalm 22, uh, 15. You can read it there as well. But this is also a great passage when people want to deny that Jesus was not God. I love taking them to this passage because this is God talking back in the Old Testament. And he's saying that you're going to look upon me whom they have pierced. And so, of course, he was referring to Jesus and Jesus is God. So here's some more. Jesus would teach in parables. It was Jesus' most popular way of teaching. And it says here in Psalms, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Jesus' clothes, they would be gambled for. Psalm 28, 22, 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And how about the entire chapter of Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected, uh, that he would be whipped with his stripes were healed. He would not defend himself when they accused him. He, would open, he wouldn't even open his mouth. Uh, he would, he would uh, be killed with sinners and he would be buried with the rich. And there's just a whole lot of evidence there. And so the desire of this lesson this morning was to just give you some evidence and some facts about why we believe the Bible is true and why it is trustworthy and why we can base our life upon it. Now, I don't want you to think because of any one of these things is why I hold the Bible in my hand and say, oh, I believe it's true. It's, it's really a compilation of, of many different things, but ultimately, really, it comes down to the Holy Spirit, the illumination of the Holy Spirit and Him telling us that, man, this thing really is true. And if you're a born-again child of God, you know what I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit uh, just assures you that something is true. When I heard the gospel and I trusted Christ, I knew it was the truth. And so when I come to the Bible and God is speaking to me, I know, and he says his word is true, hey, I believe it. And all these other things that we look up, hey, they're just, uh, it's just the cherry on the top. And it's wonderful things that you can show maybe some people who doubt that the Bible is true. You can show some of these things and maybe it'll allow the Holy Spirit uh, to have a little foothold to get in the door and to uh, work on uh, work in their heart and in their mind and convict them that this really is the truth, that the Word of God was given from God. It's inspired by God to help us in this life and how we can follow God and live a life pleasing to him. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you and God bless.